0: Welcome to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have a bit of a different guest, but a very special guest. Micah Kraus is joining us on The Backdrop. Micah is different than most of our guests because he's an artist. I guess you can make the argument that most golf course architects that we've had on the pod are certainly artistes. Uh, Rob Collins is is certainly a gentleman with some formal art training in his background. But Micah Krause, our guest today, is a straight-up artist. I think no one would, would argue that that knows him. He's based in Akron, Ohio. He owns his own studio called Genuine Article, which certainly keeps him busy. But he also finds time serving as an art educator for the students of Hoban High School in Akron, which is the place I met Micah 21 years ago. That is quite terrifying. Someone born that year can now have a beer. But anyways, we have brought Micah on to the show for a very important reason. Uh, We approached him a year ago about our club championship and, and the medals that we wanted to have for Atlanta, Chicago, our, our, our annual club championships and, and the desire to not go with something out of the box. We, we really wanted something unique to the golf society, something that, uh, celebrated our authenticity and was really a, uh, metaphor for uh, the broader, uh, community that, that we've, brought together with new club. So I thought it might be fun to have him on the show when we brought him the, the project. I thought he might uh, quickly jump on it himself. But what I learned was that Micah, what he loves most about art and the art community is the process. And a lot of times the process and sometimes the the best process is finding the best people, the most talented, those with expertise, those with passion to do the work. And so He put together a collective of talented people, talented artists who made our club championship medals and our club championship belt and the even the box that these things are going to be delivered in for both Atlanta and Chicago members. You know, that's what you're playing for this year. So it's going to be a really cool chat, kind of give you some perspective on what that year long process really looked like then we get to play for them. And that's what we get to look forward to. So Atlanta, your club championship is going to be about a month from the Chicago club championship, two months from right now, uh, November, the details of which will be coming out here soon. Chicago, you're all set for October 3rd at Chickamine Country Club. It's a 1913 Harry Collis private club in Lakeside, Michigan. Uh, we'll be there in the morning followed by our season ending party with our friends at journeyman distillery. So everyone's welcome to the party at journeyman, bring out your family, your friends, your kids, uh, not just our 50 qualifiers who will be playing in that stroke play on, on Sunday morning, but, uh, but also any of the members of new club, plus your friends are, are welcome to join us at the party on Sunday afternoon, October 3rd at journeyman distillery. The top sixteen from that day at Chickamineen, eight gross and eight net will be moving on to the Monday match play finals at the Dunes Club in New Buffalo, where we will be crowning our champions. Those top sixteen also have a a very nice treat of staying complimentary at the flat at journeyman distillery, so sixteen of you will be staying there uh, that move on to the Dunes Club. And we'll have dinner that night, breakfast for you the next morning. It is a very sweet pad. Uh, And it's kind of like, you know, an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette where you got to pack a bag on Sunday and you never know what's going to happen. This is the rose ceremony. So you got to just, you know, prepare for the best and uh, make sure you play well and get yourself to the Dunes Club on Monday. So that is our club championship, the medals, the trophies. That's what we're talking about on this pod. And Journeyman Distillery, you guessed it, they are our official partner for the Club Championship, and as we all know, golf and whiskey go together like the perfect twosome. My favorite, personally, is their Silver Cross. It's a name that hails from the medal that give similar to our medals. They gave out a medal back in the early days of the British Open. This medal would later come to symbolize friendship, tradition, camaraderie, and spirited competition—all things we're all about at New Club. In the same spirit, Journeyman has created a tradition they call Four grains for Golf donating 1% of all sales from Silver Cross Whiskey back to various golf charities and organizations that teach kids the game of golf and instill in them its core values. Kids also play free at Welter's Folly, a 30,000-square-foot real grass putting green monitored after the Himalayas putting course in St. Andrews, Scotland. I was over in uh, Three Oaks at the Journeyman Distillery this past weekend, Uh, met up with a bunch of friends on Saturday to just get together for lunch. We hit up the putting green with all of our kids it was awesome it's uh it's a great place for for food at staymaker for spirits if you're an enthusiast of whiskey enthusiast of golf it's it's wonderful but it's also pretty family friendly and and just a really fun day you can check out their full portfolio of spirits at journeymandistillery.com and without further ado on to the show Micah Krause, welcome to the backdrop. I feel
1: so welcome. I feel so welcome.
0: It's <laughs> you know I don't know if we have a a uh, an artiste has been the the guest you know that we usually do a lot of golf geekery on this podcast uh, so we've had architects who who would argue golf course architects argue that they are artists so many many of them are but uh, but you're like a full blown artist. Oof. Uh...
1: Well, I, and I would never argue against a, a golf course architect either, being an artist. Um, yes, I am a complete golf novice. Not, that's actually inflating my knowledge and experience. Uh, I, I know so little about golf, but I'm, I'm not at all against learning. In fact, much of my childhood was spent with my grandpa caller watching Chi Chi Rodriguez uh, sword fight with his putter. It's about what I remember, um, but uh, yeah, Chichi inspired a lot
0: of people. He did. He was he was a charismatic dude.
1: What a showman! Yep. Fun fact about Chichi Rodriguez. Did yes, you know, please. He,
0: and this is we're both from the the great city of Akron, Ohio. So that's
1: I think I know where you're going with this, we'll but I'm to excited our, to see.
0: We'll get to our our connections later. But in the great town of Akron, Ohio, everyone knows, right? LeBron James, obviously. Black Keys, great. But people forget about Devo. For which is how Rodriguez. could you? And Chi Chi Rodriguez. So you know where I'm going? Oh, yes. On one of the staple Devo albums. I don't actually know which one. Maybe you do. <laughs> yes. The artwork on the album cover was a it wasn't <laughs> Chi Chi specifically. It was like a no. deformed version of <laughs> Chi <Chi-Chi> Chi Rodriguez. <laughs> And, and like, like you, the the guys in Devo, they didn't never touch the golf club. They didn't play, but they love Chi Chi.
1: Yep. You got it. You got it. it. (laughs) And, and Devo is truly one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, even before I came to Akron, I, that was pure coincidence, but um, yes, Chi Chi runs deep. So <laughs> what is, wow. We
0: got to a golf connection early. Um,
1: Absolutely incredible. Yeah. yeah
0: you're, you're, you're not a golfer per se, but you've been, uh, you're, you're impacting the golf society of new club in a big way. And, uh, about it, I think maybe I'll let you tell the tale, but I came to you, sure. Uh, a lost soul, looking for help, um, about a year ago, maybe okay. maybe just a little bit more. But kind of yeah. What, what's your version of of the the story?
1: Yeah, so I, I recall getting a maybe a Facebook message or Instagram message um, from you, really inquiring about the production of um, awards and trophies for this project for for your society. And um, I remember receiving it, being excited because I you know, uh, we have past history together and it's always fun to hear um, what, what you all are up to with your lives. And this seemed really intriguing. Um, not anything that's within my milieu as an artist, but uh, one thing that I've learned from long ago, both in my own experience and have been told again and again by professors and other artists is don't say no, never say no, because... You, you can at least contribute something to the opportunity, whether it's something you pursue or not. So um, this seemed really interesting and exciting. And so we started a conversation through um, through that uh, channel and started really kind of dreaming and talking about what might be possible for sourcing artists to create these, these assets for your society. Um, Again, it not being something within my realm, metalwork and and uh, that kind of stuff, I started really thinking about. Well, man, maybe this is kind of a crossover in my life as an educator and as an artist, where I can help source artists for this project and be the intermediary of sorts, um, maybe the manager. And uh, much like as an art teacher, um, I can put opportunities in front of my students and and nurture that process. Now, this is a little more enticing or a different experience because these are adults. These are, um, you know, people are professionals. And so um, that relationship is different in a, in a great way, but uh, that got me really excited for it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, my initial outreach was, because the the dots that I connected are, you know, golf, all sports, there there's trophies and there's awards and, and for our golf society, we're no different. We have accolades. It's not all about winning. It's not all about that, but we wanted something to um, really cement our, particularly our, our, club championships, which we have two mm-hmm. of now with Chicago and Atlanta. And, and we really wanted something special and, and everywhere we turned or we were appointed by other people in the golf industry. I wouldn't say any of it's bad, but it's just, uh, you know, one of our taglines is for the soul of the game. and, when you see the same trophy over and over again, as uh, we, we tend to do in, in the, go- the game of golf or people get comfortable and they look for the, it, it just, it lacked that soul. And, yeah. and what crossed my plate and, and you're such an advocate for artists um, in Northeast Ohio and, and uh, all over that, you know, there are people out there that have created such unique, beautiful things. Why why can't that be the case for golf trophies and golf awards and, um, kind of these for us, it's going to be a relic of hopefully hundred years. And, uh, and so when I think about that, I felt weird putting it in a, you know, simple order form to the trophy shop. I didn't, it didn't feel very new club. It didn't feel like this yeah. timeless thing. It didn't, it didn't feel like the inspiration, um, that, you know, I see when I was in Scotland and Ireland and, you know, the things that they present, to their champions and their medal winners, and it was you could tell this stuff was handcrafted and 200 years old. I mean, some of these things right. really were, and, and so I was just on this hunt. Um, and and I was hoping that you might be able to, uh, I was hoping you'd do it. You'd just say, Yeah, sure, let me get on my uh, my metalworking hat and and hammer some stuff out because your your artwork has always impressed me, and I, I love what you do. But it was, it was even, I thought it was a neat response to say, you know what, I know a lot of artists and I know people that um, would love to take on projects. That's, that's good. Let's talk about it. Let's design it. And, and let's go find those people. So, you know, that's what we have coming for all of our, our members, but I, I wanted to have you on just so we could hear a little bit about that process. Cause I think, I don't think it'll be lost on people when they see the final products of our our champions belts and our medals and, and the presentation of, you know, the, the box that it comes in, even it, it's gonna, uh, yeah. I hope resonate with folks the way that the stuff in Scotland resonated with me. Um, but I wanted to hear for you, cause you were the guy quarterbacking all of this to make <laughs> it, to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And if I can add to what you just beautifully articulated, um, one of the things that really fueled my, my excitement for this, again, in a different role than I would normally serve in a project like this, was that you were specifically seeking out the development, the investment in uh, these, these art pieces to be made. Um, there are easier routes. And you know this certainly has taken a lot of time. And, uh, and, and as uh, you, know, you and Mark running this society, you have plenty of things going on. And yet this is something else that you chose to invest time in. In um, and money and, and, and so on. And so that, anytime somebody is interested in uh, sincerely um, pursuing the development of art pieces, especially in a situation where it's, it's not an absolute necessity, that's not why people have joined your golf society, um, but it's a value added. I have a hard time stepping away from anything like that because that's, a, that's so rare. And uh, that's something I want to pour some gasoline on and say, yeah, let's do this because I think it's going to make other people in the same realm that you work with and say, Whoa, what's going on with this? This is special. This is different. And people that are playing in these tournaments deserve to have this special experience. So um, kudos to you guys. I definitely got all of us excited.
0: You picked it up quickly too, that we are, uh, we care a lot about these pieces and and it is yeah. about rewarding our members with something that's not just off a catalog that it is something that um, we poured some heart and some thought and some um some soul into and you know that process I think through it we learned a lot about absolutely uh, the art process and I think i've I've gained by doing this I've gained an appreciation for artists for their process mm-hmm. and uh, project management of of these very intensely um, creative and uh, for the artists very personal processes for yeah. for what they do, and then having to mesh that with our crazy ideas and, and the things right. that we were trying to get across. So if if you can dive into let's do it, yeah, the, like just how you go about you know g- getting an art piece off the ground all the way to fruition.
1: Sure. Um, you had put me in contact with Sherry Sims, professor uh, and head of the jewelry metals department at University of Akron. Sherry and I met and, uh, at, at full call um, in the Myers School of Art, and uh, we looked at some ideas. We kind of talked through some of the initial thoughts that you and Mark had for what this metal needed to, to look like and how it needed to operate. Uh, what it should represent, and she had a lot of, through her experience, she had a lot of ideas of how we might approach this. One of her goals was to involve her students. Um, we all know that 2020 and 2021 have been unprecedented years in terms of the ability to work together and, and so on and gather, and educationally on all levels, including the university system, uh, it's just shaken things up. So Sherry came into this with the mindset of, I'm going to pull my jewelry metal students into this project. It's something similar to what they've done before with other organizations to develop pendants and medals. She was excited to have her students involved, as was I. Um, what a great experience for those people. And so they were in the initial phases. Uh, there were about five or six students that came up with sketches and ideas that they presented to Sherry and I. Um, she, we kind of culled that group of, of ideas, met again a couple of times. And then uh, when we had kind of a core group of, of concepts that could work, um, I brought those forward to you all. And we, we combed through them, found some, some gems, some kind of rough gems of, uh, of things we could work with. Went back to Sherry and her group. And by that time, um, I think we started this process in January. Uh, with the initial meetings with Sherry and her her students. By about mid-February, we got to the point where we had some rough ideas. But it was pretty evident at that point that she wasn't going to have the quality time with her students that she thought she might. Um, They were being pulled in different directions. I think they only had one day on campus a week that they could be in the studio because of COVID protocols. Um, It became very clear that Sherry would be the one making the piece uh and and her students would be minimally involved It was just the nature of the beast so with that i'll say yeah
0: it's uh reflecting on it's fun because (laughs) as you know reaching out to her it was probably for her own work and and seeing some of the stuff that she had done and uh i thought it was so cool that to involve the students you know i said of course why would we not take that there was a part of us though that said you know, when I was a student, my work wasn't, you know, <laughs> right. something that I would be given. So I was a little concerned about that, but I, I wanted to say on the, the sketches and the designs that the, the, the students came up with, um, yeah. what was so cool is some kids were researching golf societies. They were, they were looking in the history books of, you know, St. Andrews and trying to get some inspiration from that, which I thought was really That's cool. Right. There were other students you could clearly see, they probably did not have an affiliation with golf, but we we actually took some of those concepts from non golfers because we just loved it because it looked good and and it was a beautiful uh, concept that we had to mesh with all these other ideas that started to come in and I, I thought that was a cool yeah. aspect when we when we got to see the students do that that was really neat.
1: Yeah, you're right on, and and one of the values of bringing in people that are not oriented with the subject area that you're representing or that you're deeply involved in is they're bringing fresh eyes to it. They're um, maybe they're researching things that uh, are the origins of the, of the sport or the activity, but they're seeing it from a, the perspective of someone outside of that activity. Um, because sometimes if we only work within our, our social groups or our networks, things can get very internal um, and, and maybe uh, they become cliche and a little trite because we're all thinking the same things. So that's where the value of having those students work on this really came into play. Um, they didn't really, they weren't faithful to the, the tradition of golf, other than the, the basic research that they had found, which made it really cool. And yeah, uh, a couple of the things they came up with held through all the way to the finished product. Um, so Sherry and I got together and put some more finalized sketches together. Um, and really locked down on this idea of the bee, um, which is a, a core part of the the new club logo and and really has distinct sig- significance to you. Um, and uh, and then that bee started, we started thinking about the hive. and the idea that New club is this hive of people all working together in this in this sport, coming from different places, on uh, different activities, different parts of the country. Different professions, but pulling together um, into this network. And so then that hive through Mark's influence began to involve, evolve into uh, maybe a code. How can we use that hive pattern as a the honeycomb pattern as a, as a code that looks aesthetically pleasing? But then when you get one more step further in the in the revelation of what it represents, it opens up new channels and, and further deeply ties into new clubs. Uh, Again, that's the beauty, you you can't buy that off the shelf. That takes time. In fact, one of my former professors just said to me today, art takes time, artists need time. And that idea couldn't, you couldn't come to that in one conversation that had to come through a few months of process. So um, from there, uh, I mean, we we got the, sh- we, we, yeah. the code. The
0: code will probably come up again. We won't give it away because I think no. we we want to give our <laughs> you know developers and others a, a shot at actually deciphering it. But yes, there was that hexagonal shape, the the beehive shape that led to a, a, a hidden message, if you will, which is a neat <laughs> one, very cool aspect of of the medal yeah. that our winner gets.
1: You know, and again, it needs to operate on on all levels. Uh, if it's just a code wrapped around someone's neck. It's not really going <laughs> to turn heads and make people excited. Uh, it needs to be an aesthetically pleasing, heavy, precious object. And, uh, and, and so the fact that we have these different layers and levels that the, the uh, object works on is really special. Now, while all of that was happening, we pulled on board um, artist Stephen Turnero. And uh, he's an art educator and has a studio in the Canton area. He's a weaver, and um, I I love his textile work. I've seen it uh, all over the place, and normally he works in these really vibrant kind of pop art color palettes, magentas and and turquoise and and things, but these intricate patterns. And um, I thought, wow, what if even the ribbon that this metal was hanging on was a handmade object that was precious in and of itself? Um, Because how sad to make this beautiful metal and then just strap on some nylon ribbon, right? Right. So we reached out to Steven. He was really excited to work on this. He had never worked on weaving patterns of that size, of that small size, and that tight of a weave, uh, that number of threads even. So he was excited for the challenge and developed a prototype. Um, He hand-dyed all of the, the wool for this um kind of to our specifications of something that was more of an earth tone something that would tie more to the heritage of golf and his pattern that he developed honestly it was kismet that developed into the hexagonal pattern as we were developing the shape of the metal Um, those didn't influence each other they just happened to be and so uh that is incorporated into the ribbon as well he it took him some time. I think he uh, did not realize at first just how much time it would take to make these, but I think he got it down to, I, I don't want to butcher his timing, but it was something like an inch every 30 minutes or something that he was able to do. And and he made yeah. 10 of these things that are like 30 inches long yeah. each. So. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> he was bent over that that loom for quite it, a bit.
0: And it, it was, uh you know, when you hear from the artist that they haven't done something before and you see you know he's got a full rolodex of so many different designs <laughs> and intricacies and to hear he's never done one that small i yeah. will i won't lie to you like i was really kind of psyched about that that yeah. like, we're we're pushing this man to his limit for something that is you know for our golf champion uh the, what the medal actually hangs on which you know is that's crucial. Of, yeah, it's it's crucial, right, it's right. Crucial, and uh, and to make sure he can support. So yeah, I I that was uh, he he painstakingly put in that time, but I, I I love that we did something new and different for him too.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and they really turned out beautifully. So he worked on those for uh, a few months, and um, Sherry developed a prototype of the the metal. We mailed that out to Chicago for you both to see and handle. Um, and get some feedback on things to revise that was mailed back. One of those those interesting things of working with physical objects where typically um, any sort of client work that I'm doing is um, able to be digitally shared. Um, So it was a little nerve wracking to know, is it going to arrive intact? Will it arrive with all the issues of shipping uh, nowadays? And so all that went off without a hitch. Um, We were able to get a final prototype put together and, and kind of signed off. And Sherry began contacting casting houses. Our vision for this was we'll make this prototype, send it to a casting house, they'll make a rubber mold of the prototype and then they can cast these in either brass, bronze, nickel, whatever we had chosen. And uh, and that's gonna allow us then to replicate these in an efficient way over time, over the many years, as you said. Um, so uh, the first casting house that she had a relationship with has closed. COVID was, not kind to them and they, they shut down. Um, so she sourced another one that was highly recommended, sent things out, it takes about four weeks. This was over the 4th of July weekend. So at this point, we're about six months into this process uh, and um, it takes a few weeks for them to develop the rubber mold and get uh, the prototypes or the, the initial versions cast. Everything seemed to be going fine. They shipped them back to Sherry all 10 and uh, they arrived damaged, uh, not, not wrapped carefully and uh, gouged and, and uh, pretty rough. And in addition to that, they were not well cast. Um, so I, Sherry and I talked on the phone because I was very excited. I'm texting her. Have you gotten them yet? How are they? How do they look? And I can tell there's some trepidation in her reply. She's like, I think we need to talk. <laughs> And uh, the only way I can describe them is they looked like um, Easter candy that you've left, left in your car. And, uh, you know, that bunny face has started to melt a little bit and lost its definition. So, um, yeah, they were very uh, soft and lacking the definition that we all expected. Um, Sherry already had plan B in her mind that she's like, you know what, I think I'm going to make all these by hand. And that's a yeoman's task. Yeah. You know, that's, um, but I will say from an artist standpoint, I I knew that was her plan B before she even said it because control is something that any productive artist uh, loves to be able to assert and is terrified to let go of. So the idea of sending it back out and saying, let's give them another crack at it. It's like, why? You know, they screwed it up once. I know I can do this. Well, I'm just going to do it even though it will take more time. And uh, at least I know that I'm the one doing the work. And so over this past couple of weeks, Sherry has been working diligently to hit this deadline and uh, has been has been making each of these medals by hand. So um, they will all look very consistent, but they will certainly all have their unique qualities. Just kind of like you were saying about those things that you see. in. Uh, in your travels that are a couple hundred years old and have, you know, been handled and used and, and were made by hand. And so there there's marks of the hand left in them. These objects will have that as well. Um, I, and that's I, not to say we're, we're not going to look at ways to make the process more efficient as we move forward. <laughs> no. But as of now, that's, that's how it's happening. I,
0: I love this aspect of this journey with you guys is, um, I I had a little panic mode, you know, when the, they don't come back, the product is what it it was going to be. And we all fell in love with from design standpoints. And, (laughs) um, and then we loved Sherry's handmade, you know, mold uh, so much. And uh, it it was one of those things probably destined to be because like, like you said, you, you look at the Claret jug, everyone's familiar with the Claret jug in the game of golf. And, uh, I've, they say it's a, they say it's a curse if you touch it without ever winning it. Well, I I probably want to have a shot at that. So I I picked it up one time. I was lucky to be in its presence one time and it's got to have a beer out of it actually. And, um, when you look up close and personal at, you know, it, it, uh, it's a art piece itself. And it, it was a metal worker the many, many hundreds years ago that, that was the first, it was really the first trophy in golf. And when you look at it, well, I'm sorry, the belt wasn't, but we'll get to the belt in a little bit. When you look at the detail of uh, the trophy of the Claire Jug, it, it it's little things, you know, everything looks consistent from about 10 feet out. But when you get in, you realize how different it was all the way around and all the different images and, you know, golfers here and there and the differences in their uh, setups and stance and, and it's it's very intricate and it's very very it's varied and so um i thought there was a beauty to that uh symmetry in our process now where we were going to have this very stamped standard process now we have someone painstakingly doing it by hand every metal sure. will will be stand on its own and i, I kind of like that um, and, and god bless sherry for uh making that happen
1: She stuck it out yeah um that's so good. That's great, great uh, perspective and insight. You know, there's there's a reason that filmmakers still create practical effects when everything could be done computer generated. Um, they're still making models, scale models, and 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 those kinds of things. There's a hand involved, and there's there's tactility, and um, you know, we value these sculptures and things that we see in Italy and 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 by Michelangelo and all these master artists because of the hand not not because i mean they're not perfect in fact some of the imperfections are what make them function well um and so that can only happen through a human and um there's so much value there's there's an inexplainable value in that so that's what these objects are going to have and uh and and that really excites me um, that's that's special let's move on to our belts yeah so we got two wow. belts.
0: I'll, I'll i'll preface with uh golf side of this so what Mm -hmm. we were looking for and many may know uh before the claret jug the first you know event in golf was the open championship uh and the winner got a belt and so belts in the uk and for golf societies inspired new club they have belts for their championships they're their highest uh you know competitive honor we'll call it and uh so I really love that history and it's, it's something you don't see too often uh, in, in the States. Uh, there's some that have kind of done it, but it, it doesn't look like theirs, you know, it's like a purple kind of wrestling belt. And we weren't, we weren't after that. We really wanted to kind of honor the tradition of craftsmanship for the belt and, and give it to, to our winners. So we selected um, two people that have been inspiring and in, in golf to kind of be on those, those belts. Uh, Well, I'll talk about them in a bit, but I, I want to start with, you know, when we came to you with that belt concept and shared with you that, that history, um, what were your thoughts and, and uh, what what were your first steps to kind of help us get it started?
1: Yeah. The belt um, was, was another, that, that actually took a lot more imagination on my part to uh, try to wrap my head around because you're right, I had no experience seeing belts as a part of the golf uh, lineage. Um, and boy, in my research, I discovered everything you just said, a lot of bad uh, WWE style belts, a lot of boxing belts that are retrofitted for golf, and man, they're so garish, so wrong. Uh, and, and seeing the original that you shared with me as the kind of prototype example, um, it just, it had this weight of authority and had this sense of, um, kind of machismo, but also like, you know, like, a I don't know, there was such strength in this wide leathered hands forged metal object, this belt buckle that wasn't like a rodeo belt buckle. It was so decorative and beautiful, but it was on this wide piece of leather that just wrapped around the circumference of someone's waist. And, um, I had nowhere, no idea where to start with that one because that was that's a that's a different animal. Um, so Sherry initially was going to. She really helped in the development of the concept of the image of the belt. Um, and we again, just like the metal, we went through a number of iterations of design ideas and what should be on there, what shouldn't be. Loved working with you and, and Mark on this because um, the process was really open, but with the clear concept of let's. Limit this down to our core. What needs to be on this buckle? And um, the patience that you all had of being willing to talk through ideas, the collaborative conversation that you both had with each other, um, of really thinking through what needs to be there. And okay, and then and then backing up, having the humility to back up and say, you know what, I don't think I do need that on there. Or you're right. That's that's not something we need. Um, was really cool to watch and that's special. Um, so as that evolved, um, Sherry connected us with uh, a recent uh, master's graduate, uh, Maria Cameron Smith from Kent State University. So two universities now linked to this project. Two and, working as one. Right? Oh man, the, world the flashes and zips just. They can,
0: they can, the world can be
1: <laughs> bridged. That's right. So Maria was super excited to be involved with this because, you know, transition in lifetime for her, stepping off the ledge of uh, master's program into the unknown. And uh, it's exciting because early in our project, she landed a position in Florida and she had this definite timeline. I've got to get this thing done before I've got to get out of town, which was also, I think, relieving to all of us. Like, okay, good. (laughs) You've got a deadline in addition to our deadline. She was so efficient. Oh my gosh, she jumped right into this thing and, and, and so on the ball with um, putting together these very illustrative presentations for us of, of concept development, directions we could go and processes that could be used. She settled on the Hamil, hammer and repoussé process, which is um, just in layman's terms, because that's what I am in this, uh, the method of taking a, a fairly thin sheet of copper in a series of hammers and taps, and either pushing into the metal or pushing out from the metal, the surface of the metal. So concave or convex, it's all very low relief, but because some of the metal is being pushed back and some is being pushed forward, you get the illusion of a greater sense of depth. Um, And it was really cool to see the process of that as it was in this kind of black goo that the metal would sit down in so it would have something to push into that wouldn't resist the metals uh, being formed. Um, so she was, pretty, she was able to work on that pretty quickly. Uh, and then what really blew my mind was she, she got to a, a pretty finished state on the first belt buckle. She received notes on things that needed to be revised and she was able to do that in metal revising <laughs> that object. Uh, it was special. <laughs> I, I remember,
0: and our, our revisions weren't uh, too lengthy. It's just that no. I was I was kind of looking at this thing, thinking, "How would you edit? Like, if if you wanted to, what would you do? You'd start new, right?" And that what she came back with, I w- I was just blown away that someone with a yeah. hammer and and all, a, a heavier piece of metal I don't know what it is, but a, a hammer and nail, yeah. whatever you might call it, uh, being able to get the detail work, the detail that she got on. And, and I'll 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 just t- tell it to those listening. It's uh, so the first one is Young Tom Morris. So those that follow, you know, the podcast closely will will remember we had uh, the the historian um, state Stephen Proctor on who is the preeminent expert. He's from Florida, ironically, but he, he's in Scotland very often. And he wrote the book on young Tom Morris and young Tom Morris was a, kind of a pioneer of the game, uh, old Tom, obviously the grandfather of golf. People really, uh, use him as the figurehead so, so often in our game, but young Tom who who died very young, tragically was, um, was a prodigy golfer. And, and he really kind of, ch- I don't want to say challenge authority, but he was, he pushed things uh, to to you know the new golf club, uh, which we derive our name. He he was um, he did not want to be the face. They actually wanted to call it the Tom Morris Golf Society with old Tom being the figurehead and young Tom was the one that said, you know, my name's Tom too, and I don't I don't want that. You know, that's everything here is old. We're new. We're going to be the new golf club. And I, I heard that story when I was over there, and I and I started to read up on him. I talked we talked to the story, and and it's just this guy that's so embodied. Uh, progress, I think, in golf and golf is this. You know, where we 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 have this uh, traditional tie-in with history, and um, it's it's such a, a a deep game when it comes to history. But then there's also the, those that have challenged certain things and pushed the game forward, and the game has always gone forward. And so I I really loved him as our first uh, figurehead for our first ever championship um, award. And and I was nervous that you know when we sent over his swing silhouette uh which we had to dig for that it would just be hard to pull off but the detail that she got on this thing is so so cool
1: yeah it's completely readable um including text and uh, the the figures that are on these two belt buckles and uh and and the design that's in the background that's representative i'm trying not to say too much here yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> but um But yeah, even to the point of getting texture to represent different aspects of the background pattern um, so that it would be it would make sense to um, a golfer uh, was was pretty amazing. So she was uh, I I couldn't give higher compliment to her um, balance of integrity as an artist of knowing the process and what materials can do and also what her style and approach would be balanced with the needs of the client and, and what the project vision was and the willingness to bend um, to meet that. That's a special thing that not many artists can do. You know, that's one of the hardest parts of commission work is um, trying to hold on to your identity in the project while also meeting the client's needs and you can either swing one way completely so it's kind of void of the artist or it can be this struggle constantly um, so it, I'd say the same for Sherry throughout the process, these, these people have been so generous in lending their skills and talents to this, this, um, outcome while also keeping their hand in the game. Um, and I think yeah. that's, and same for Steven, you know, it's, it's yeah. for all of these people, they've, they've, uh, made unique objects that I think they'd be proud to have their names on.
0: And, I, and I'll say in in retrospect, the decision to go with a collaborative, uh, artist, uh, movement to get it done was mm-hmm. different in that regard where it's like you had to have some faith and trust that they are artists. They they know what will be best, take your vision and then do let their hand do the work. Whereas I find, you know, order forms for other things, it is it is more people that are just looking to take an order. Like, you know, well you didn't right. give me that detail. I don't have that information. And this was much more ask the question, give it let me interpret that and see what comes yeah. out, which was, was a learning experience for us.
1: You're right. That's not easier by any means, um, but it, it certainly can get to an outcome that you are much happier with. Um, now, while all of that was going on, uh, another artist, uh, Jason Horinger, was working on uh, this project as well. So we've got this team, this really great A team, working on things, each of which is housed in well, their own specialty. We
0: Sergio, though. We got we'll get to Jason because Jason wraps you're right, everything you're up.
1: Right. <laughs> Jason okay, wraps everything
0: together. But you forgot our, our fourth I artist, Sergio. Sergio.
1: Oh my gosh! So I was having such a hard time sourcing a leather person. Um, I reached out to all these people that I'd seen at craft shows and and people in the community, but I this this reveals my ignorance of the the leather world. Um, is that some people work only on small leather weavings and some do clothing and and, and so on and so forth and um, it just this is not something that fell in people's wheelhouse or that they were willing to make time for so uh, I, I kind of reached out to a guy that um, I really I love the work he does kept begging him like okay I'm gonna ask again <laughs> I really need this man He's like, listen, I can't do it, but I have a couple of ideas for you. I've continued to think about this. He's like, have you thought about, number one, reaching out to a motorcycle shop that does custom leather wear? And number two, if that doesn't work, have you thought about a bondage shop? It's like, neither of those have I thought of, but wow, am I excited now, <laughs> it's like, man, if this golf championship belt can come from a bondage house, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> so we I not thought all right, I'm gonna... that at all, we're like, <laughs> not this at thing all. is eclectic to begin with. So keep it rolling. That's right. So I did reach out to the motorcycle shop first and I found one And Mark, Mark gave you his bondage
0: guy and it all worked out. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: not for this project though
0: you're <laughs> yeah welcome, you're welcome My ought just sorry mark it's okay it's it's be who you are man it's okay that's right <laughs> uh
1: um so uh, i found this place in cleveland uh, called s&p leather and um they are in the kind of gordon square up and coming neighborhood over on the west side and Sergio uh, is the gentleman that's the proprietor to this shop and so we chatted a little bit. Um, he seemed really confident that he could jump on this. Now I think the first time that he and I talked was back in March and um, I said well you know we're in process of developing these belt buckles. I'll get back to you. Flash forward to you know late June. I said we've got them. We're ready. Can I meet with you? Are you still willing? Sure. So I, I actually ended up riding my bicycle up to Cleveland with the belt buckles in my basket, wrapped carefully in bubble wrap and <laughs> got up there. Of course, it was like a 90 degree day. So I'm just like a mess by the time I got up there. Um, and he's older gentleman. Uh, he and his son run the shop and we were able to develop an idea of what the leather should be. And he was kind of unfazed by the whole thing. Sure. We'll make it three and a half inches wide for the majority, two inches wide to fit onto the buckle and um, so sketched it out. And um, his timeline was really fast. Great. This is awesome. So uh, a couple of weeks later, I touched base with him. It's ready to go. Pop up there to pick it up. And it wasn't quite right. Now, fortunately, we had made this thing huge. It was, I think, 66 inches long. So it would accommodate truly every waist. Um, but the bad part was that the proportions of the width of the belt were not what we were looking for. And it really ended up looking like a weightlifter support belt. Um, certainly not what we wanted. So because of its extensive length, we were able to trim down the one end so that the, the width of the belt was really um, proportionate to where we wanted it to be and, uh, and refit that um, meanwhile, Sergio is just kind of working through this thing, being very utilitarian, manhandling stuff, and the belt buckles flopping around, <laughs> like having a heart attack. Like, okay, man, this you got to stop. You got to stop. Our last <laughs> shot. <laughs> you don't know what we've been through for this. <laughs> Gently took the belt buckle away from Sergio and he got the leather part done. But it's this beautiful, um, dark, rich brown leather that uh, has a soft, finish on it so it leaves markings very easily even a a fingernail can draw into it um which will add to that age and weather over time um which i think is gonna you know make the thing look so much more valuable and beautiful
0: important to mention on the the belt that this is the perennial trophy so your medal (laughs) goes home with you for a lifetime you'll be able to you know hang or or put it on the mantle wherever you need but the belt is a perennial, which means you hand it back in at the start of the next season. So you get it uh, for Chicago. You'll get it in October for um, Atlanta. You'll get it in November. And that thing's got to be back at the spring meeting in Sweetens at Sweden's Cove uh, when we kick things off for the next season. So it's, it is that, 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 you know, the Stanley cup, the clarity, all these things, they come back. And, and, and I think that's what we loved about the, the durability, obviously this thing had to withstand a beating if, if it so happened, but uh, but also just the character that it will develop over the years from the, yeah. the transport of, of member to member and having their names added, you know, it's going to be uh pretty neat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so all of that's so constructed. Jake. Yes. And I jumped the gun there. So, Uh, Our friend and and, uh, former classmate and and student and Akron magnate, Jason Horinger, uh, has a shop called Birchwood Supply Company, where he sources vintage and found goods, um, a lot of existing objects from the past, and then raw materials that he makes into things. And really early on in this project, uh, when we talked about a box to house the metals and the belts, I thought, Jason, Jason's the guy. He has such an eye for finding these things. And this will just be part of the flow of his life. So he jumped right on board. In fact, he and I just met earlier this morning, uh, looking at uh, the boxes that he has. He's found, I think both of these are old like toolboxes, handmade toolboxes, something that you could imagine like your grandpa or great grandpa having in the garage that they made specifically to house the tools that they have, that they use. And, uh, you know, the corners are a little beat up and the the nail heads show that they've been varnished a few times. Uh, Just beautiful, beautiful objects that have the warmth of time. Um, So he's very lightly treating those to clean them up. um, So they're presentable, but trying to keep their age and um, is creating inserts for them for the medals and the belts uh, for each of those tournaments. So even the, the boxes will have history. Now, we don't know the history of these things, but they do have history, and it's evident. And uh, that history will continue on. On top of each of those boxes will be a plate. That then we can mark the name, date, and location of the tournament winners. Um, the, <clears throat> the full circleness
0: of this, oof. you know, when you, when you brought Jason into the fold, uh, personally, I was very excited because I, I have a friendship with him. I've always admired his work. We were classmates in high school, so I, uh, I had that. And but then the other thing that stuck with me was his refurbishment, which is is truly a passion. I mean, if anyone gets a, a chance, check out any of these artists. But Jason's stuff always is is so neat to me because a lot of it, you know, one of our slogans or other sayings is "old is new." Old is new, meaning you know golf societies aren't new we're not some startup like it we just went back to the traditions of the game and saw that they had this very m- more inclusive approach to just playing a variety of different courses and being able to meet people and have competitions and build this community without having real estate it was about the game not your your actual location and so we we just attached to that and it's old and we brought it back and made it new and so you know new club is a about doing that and so to have jason approach this very last piece to this whole championship uh, package that that we get to present it's it's perfect it was just like poetic to me like old as new he's refurbishing this history like we, we don't know what the history is but he's he's bringing it back to life and it's gonna mesh so well with these other pieces
1: that's fantastic. I keep envisioning that when this old box is opened, it's kind of like in a, uh, in Pulp Fiction. If you remember when they're in the, the, the apartment of those guys that are eating the Kahuna burgers and uh, Samuel L. Jackson opens the briefcase that they've been carrying that they went to a retrieve and just a light shines out. You're <laughs> not allowed to see what's in that thing, but you know, it's something powerful, special, or maybe dangerous. Um <laughs> That's exactly what these boxes are going to be like at the at the present presentation ceremony there's going to be this rustic box sitting in the middle of this space that when open, reveals those cherished trophies so yeah, it's going to be a special thing that'll stand out yeah, and that that also
0: shares the name, like you said, so everybody adds their their name to that piece of history for um, that's right for that time well uh I think that's covers. The collective, right? This is the... I think so. The new club, Golf <laughs> Society, our artist collective that, that is delivering. Well, thank you for walking us through it, Micah. That was... Yeah, I hope for sure. I, you know, for me, it was very eye-opening going through the process along with you guys, not spending the hours that our artists did, but just following the process. And I just wanted to share that with our membership so they can feel... I think they'll feel it even just by touch and, and by look, but also if they're curious about you know who made this rib, rib, this ribbon this isn't like a ribbon you get uh you know for running a 5k who, who did this what is this about <laughs> i hope i hope folks do listen to this and we got a little time left i wanted to sure. uh, ask you a little bit more about your own artwork because you've talked so perfectly about those that helped us out um and you were the ringleader but uh your your art is is pretty inspiring as well. It's the reason I w- reach out to you is I love following what you're up to. What mediums do you work in? What do you enjoy most about your own, your own personal artwork?
1: <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so I am a printmaker. Uh, that's what I pursued in in graduate school and, and through undergrad as well. Um, and, you know, printmaking is one of those terms that can be anything. Um, but specifically, I do some screen printing. That's probably the most traditional form of printmaking and that ties to uh, some of the design work that I do. So those screen prints often end up being t-shirts or apparel that people can purchase and, and wear. Um, some of my earliest experience was in Chicago coming to the Renegade Festival with my, my uh, t-shirt company Campfire back in the early 2000s to sell shirts and, and be part of that community. Um, but printmaking can also be things like Behind Me where um, you're taking new technologies that's all made with laser engraver Uh, burning into paper and and removing ink. So really printmaking is all about reducing a surface to create a a multiple. Um, Photography is really important to me and and then design as well. So anything that's kind of a two dimensional um, illustration based, typographic based design. So that operates in my fine art life that might be gallery bound. but it also then works in more of my business side that is my, my design business where I can make things for clients. Um, and so those two facets are, are what I primarily focus on artistically. A lot of it has to do with places like Akron that have um, fallen on hard times and uh, after their apex have, have dropped on down and are trying to find their way. And uh, I'm kind of born into the generation of people that are stuck in the middle we're not the greatest generation. We're not the boomers. We're not the millennials. We're just kind of this Gen X group. that's like, I don't know, I didn't build it. I didn't cause it to fall apart. Not sure I'm part of the solution. (laughs) So what do I do with all this? Uh, I'm an observer. And so um, that's kind of where I come at it from as an artist.
0: Yeah. And that was uh, another thing for us is learning about the vibrance of the artistic community in a place like Akron where, you know, working collar kind of town. And uh, I always knew it from a music perspective, honestly, as a kid growing up, but I didn't really appreciate um, all the other forms of, of art that, that occur in town. And uh, I'm, I'm sure every city has their, their people. And I think if there's a message to this podcast where really, we just want to get people excited for our club championship, but if there's a message, I think it's support your local artist. I, I just feel like yeah, it's if you have the decision to make and uh, you can actually commission somebody to do something, do it because it it truly does benefit you, not just yourself and, and those that are going to enjoy the art, but um, your community of, of artists. We need our creatives to have employment and to be. Uh, be creative because that's what the world gets better when that's out there. So I, I just uh, commend you for really pushing us this direction for going out and, and uh, supporting other local artists.
1: That's awesome. Well, you know, art is not inevitable. Um, it, it happens uh, because people choose to continue to make it. And as you said, music, visual performance, um, there's all kinds of facets that art can take. Um Artists will continue to make art whether or not they're supported. And that's because it's, it's, uh, I don't tie into the words. There are a lot of buzzwords that can be used about why people continue to make art. What it comes down to is it's, um, there's a very angry voice inside a lot of people that can only be soothed by acting on what it's telling you to do. And I'm not talking about <laughs> psychopaths or <laughs> that's a whole other realm. But for the artist community, People keep making things because there's something happening inside of them. They can't stop from happening and without having a very, very angsty life. And so um, that's still going to happen. But man, it's magic when people step up and say, I want to buy what you've made or I want to hire you to make something. It is a truly magical moment because that person's saying instead of buying you know the most expensive groceries or going out to dinner, going on a vacation, I'm going to give this money to you. Because I want you to make something special for us. Those things become heirlooms that live through a family, and are precious objects that are so much better than a Thomas Kincaid painting that was, you know, purchased at a at a, at a mall. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, please nice. support your artists.
0: The there's no shortcuts. I found it was
1: like you said. <laughs> there are no shortcuts. And, and if
0: we if we if we were looking for something timeless, the, the thing that we need is now time. <laughs> because I think we, we put in plenty to, to deliver this, but I think also Absolutely. folks will, uh, will see it age with, with us. Um, uh, last question for you, a little hobby that you've picked up over the years is you ride. You, you oh, mentioned yeah. your bike ride to Cleveland. Um, tell me about that just a little bit because I think when, when I hear you talk about how you've gotten into <laughs> cycling and, and riding, it's how I hear our members talk about their golf. And I think that, you know, we don't want to be too insulated to think that golf's the only answer for us. Like there's other hobbies out there. What, what, how'd you get into it? And tell me what, how you do, how do you go
1: about it? Much like golfers, I'm guessing social, psychological, and physical, those three spokes of the wheel, when you can satisfy all three of those in one activity, you've just found something that's probably going to stick with you for a long time. So about four years ago, um, I walked into a bike shop here in Akron that was new and, uh, I, just, I wanted a bike that I could ride on Akron's rough streets and and hilly areas and such, and um, developed a relationship with those guys, and uh, it really ch- it changed everything. They were a true community. They were a society of bicyclists that were so enthusiastic and wanted to get out and do weird things on weird spots of Akron. And as someone in my mid forties, um, you know, you you have to find ways to hold on to your youth and. And you can find people of a similar age that are looking to get out and be a little mischievous in harmless ways, uh, in this case on a bicycle. Um, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. And it happened that many of those people were also creative and, and working in the creative field. So time passed, and uh, I just started commuting to school. Well, I'm a teacher, so um commuting to the high school each day and was like, man, this is great. I asked one of the guys I've been biking all spring and summer, fall, and winter's coming. How do I maintain my fitness now that I can't ride in the winter time? He's like, buy better clothes and keep riding. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you just keep riding. It's like, whoa, really? And I rode through that winter, and so that happened for a few years, and, and now this will be my fourth year of um, really bike commuting constantly. We sold our car and, and such, and. You know, it has a way of transforming the seasons. Winter is much more inviting. Now, I don't live in Chicago. Akron's winters are bad, but they're not Chicago winters. Um, but I I love the quiet, the cold, the crunch that happens in the wintertime. And it makes me so excited for spring. You know, somewhere there in March, I'm like, oh my gosh, spring is coming. It's going to be beautiful out. and I just made it through all this crap. It's going to be so great. So yeah, it's truly a part of my life now. And uh, my wife always jokes because she has to ask if we're riding together in the car or if she's going to meet me somewhere because <laughs> I want to ride the bike, but she's very patient and supportive of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a huge part of life. It's like <laughs> when you
0: find a group that's passionate about something that you are, it, it's so refreshing and and uh, yeah. illuminating. I, I know the weather thing is, is I can assume, because like, I want to play golf when it's in November And we get a break in the snow and there's a defrost, you know, things defrosted enough where I can just, it's not, you know, golf, golf, where you're putting out perfectly manicured greens, like things are are a little sloppy and they might be frozen (laughs) at times, but I'm the nut job that wants to do it because the psychological benefits, the physical benefits, the everything to it, it makes me more me. And uh, before I started, before we started new club, it was hard to find company. And so now I have that company. It sounds like your group of the society, but you guys need a name, a society of bicycle enthusiasts. It's, it's, it's very rewarding.
1: (laughs) Well, the group here in Akron is called the Rubber City Rats. So there you go. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry. (laughs) It is six o'clock, but uh, the Rubber City Rats. And so they, they ride together all the time and it's a good crew, but yeah, when you can find like-minded people that you don't have to explain yourself to. Uh, that's a special group. That's, that's church, right? And you just get together and appreciate each other's company, push each other forward.
0: Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, sir. I know we got a hard stop. I just wanted to thanks say so thanks one last time. Thanks for coming on the show. And we're looking forward to presenting your guys' hard work here in uh, October and November to our members.
1: Well, I'm proud of you, Matt. And knowing you since back in 2001, um, I had no doubt that you would do great things. And it's so cool to see you Pursuing this and creating something out of nothing, so kudos to you. Keep doing it. Thanks for bringing me on board. And pleasure to talk to you. Tonight. Yeah, I was
0: going to try to make the whole web, but will you let the cat out of the bag. I am a pupil
1: of this gentleman.
0: <laughs> Micah was my uh, most memorable art teacher by far. You really, <laughs> I'd say, man, you got you put a bug in a lot of us. Uh, and there's a lot of folks who, even if their careers aren't creative, um, they've implemented creativity and and awesome. uh, artistry into their jobs and that's that's uh, you you really love it it's another passion of yours and, you and it. thanks for sharing it
1: awesome man means a lot
0: thanks so much for listening to the show this week if you are not a subscriber please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. if you want to follow us on twitter or instagram we're at new club golf this episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners.